We finished a number of series last year, some of them tough. Our plan for the next couple of months is to focus on evangelism, and then we're going to be going back to our commentary on Matthew, kind of our series on Matthew. Now, you know that every series starts off with the why question. Why would we spend any of the time that we steward for God studying evangelism? And specifically, I really want to make this about this group. Why are we going to spend time talking about evangelism? Not why is evangelism important, but specifically for us. So here's some things I'd like to give you on why we're going to study evangelism. Some things I've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks. I think there's no doubt that evangelism is an important mandate for the church. It's part of the Great Commission, or you could even just call it one of the commandments, that it is something that we should be doing. I don't think many people are going to quibble with that. That seems kind of obvious. But as I was thinking about it, for this group especially, it doesn't seem like evangelism is one of our strengths. And I'd like to spend time not just debating evangelism in general, but since we interact and ask questions in here, I'd like us to ask ourselves questions about us, the people sitting in this room. How do we feel about evangelism, and why is it not one of our greater strengths as disciples? I think one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to look at the way evangelism is done. Because I would safely say that many of us are troubled by the way it's done. I'm not saying we're troubled about how to do it. In fact, probably very little of this series is going to be spent on how to do evangelism. More it's going to be kind of getting your feedback to let's get some of this out there. What is it that troubles you about the way evangelism is done? We're concerned about causing offense to others. I think that's one of the things we have to examine and openly state. That a lot of times what's stopping us from really engaging in evangelism, and there may be a lot of other reasons, but one of those reasons is, I think we've been intimidated into not evangelizing because we're a little bit worried about how others will feel about it. I think some of us may feel unprepared or maybe even unworthy to witness. And I think when we come to the end of our series, we can talk about that a little bit more maybe preparing and maybe that feeling of I'm not quite prepared. Finally, the reason I think we should do this series is what I call the Christian bookstore principle. (laughs) You've heard me say this when we talk about prayer, when we do our series on prayer. If I go into a Christian bookstore and there is at least 20 to 25 new books coming out each year about a subject, you know that subject, nobody is getting it right. Every time I go back onto Amazon and type in just the word evangelism, there's new books coming out. And every one of them is the same. Well, everything we've learned about evangelism, I can now teach you a different way. Or maybe there's an easier way. Or I know it's hard. And there's all these books coming out about it. You can count them. There are thousands of books on evangelism. Something tells me that it's not being addressed because there's this need to constantly rewrite the same material over and over. We should just ask questions about why is it so hard for Christians to actually do it. Every single person thinks they've got a new angle on how to do it. Maybe it's not the method. That's something we need to at least look at together. All right, tonight is kind of an intro. I'm going to get a lot of feedback from you tonight. And tonight is going to be a little bit of evangelism film festival. All right, we're going to watch some examples of evangelism. But before we get there, before we get on to our film festival, I need to get some feedback from you. So let's do that right now. Wouldn't be much of an interactive forum if you guys aren't interacting. But before you start getting offended by this little survey I'm passing out, I'm just trying to take some feedback on where you guys are with the subject of evangelism, okay? It'll help us later. 
Don't argue with the survey. We can do that later. I know some of you are like, I don't like the way this question's worded, or how dare you ask me this question. All right, if you want to keep going, that's fine. Just hang on to them and you can give them to me at the end. Now that we've introed this topic, let's, uh, let's pray and get started tonight. Holy Spirit, this is a group that wrestles. Wrestles with you, wrestles with one another, wrestles with people that aren't even in this room. Guide us, Lord. Lord, we want to be honest and lay our questions before you, but we also want to be reverent and obedient. Don't let our wrestling ever be an excuse to turn away from obedience, but Lord, let it be a chance, an opportunity to go deeper and to understand you better. We want to be disciples, disciples who obey. Pray this in your name. Amen. Here's what I'm going to do tonight. I said it was a little bit of an evangelism film festival, so what we're going to do is I'm going to show you a couple of examples of evangelism that I picked up and then we, I'm going to get your feedback back. You can talk to me about what you think of it. So you have a card. You can jot something down if you think of it. So we're going to do that. We're just going to do three short clips. They're not very long. They're each about five minutes, maybe even less. And the thing I want you to be thinking about is how do I feel about this type of evangelism being done outside, like outside of yourself? How would I feel if I were doing it? Do you think this is effective? And if you don't think it's effective, what is effective? Think about those things for a moment. Andy, let's share the first clip and get started. Good morning, folks. I want to have your attention just for a moment. I'd like to speak to you for a few moments. What I'm going to say may offend some of you, but I'd like you to bear in mind that recently over 100 American soldiers gave their lives in Iraq so that you and I can have the liberty of the freedom of speech. Now, you're here because you've allegedly violated man's law. The Bible alleges that you and I have violated God's law, that is the Ten Commandments. So what I'd like to do just for a few moments is put you on the stand and examine you under the light of that law to see how you'll do on Judgment Day. You can make the determination of whether or not you'll be innocent or guilty and what your eternal destiny will be, heaven or hell. So here goes. The Ninth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness. Have you ever told a lie? Are you innocent or guilty? Or the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Have you ever taken something that belongs to somebody else, irrespective of its value? Or the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Have you ever used God's name as a cuss word? The Bible says the Lord will not hold him, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Or the seventh commandment, this is the one that blew me out of the water. Jesus said, you've heard it said by them of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her, has committed adultery already within his heart. Have you ever looked with lust? I mean, who hasn't? Well, if you said, yeah, I've broken those commandments, then you're admitting that you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterate heart, and you'd be found guilty on the day of judgment. 
And there are two witnesses to your crimes. Number one is your conscience, the judge on the courtroom of your mind. And number two, the eyes of a holy God. The Bible says the eye of the Lord is in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And if you're found guilty, well, you'll end up in hell, which isn't God's will. You say, well, I confess my sins to God. I tell him I'm sorry. That won't help you on the day of judgment. That's like going to court today and saying, Judge, I confess I did the crime. I'm sorry. You say, oh, so you're pleading guilty. You should be sorry. You've broken the law. No, that won't help you. What you need is someone who can pay your fine. Well, 2,000 years ago, folks, God paid, paid the fine for you in Jesus Christ. When Jesus was on the cross, He was suffering for the sin of the world. The Bible says God commended His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ has once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust that He might bring us to God. Folks, the last words that Jesus said on the cross were, It is finished. In other words, the debt has been paid. You don't need to go to hell. God can grant you the gift of everlasting life because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because of His death and His resurrection. Death has been defeated. God will grant you His gift of everlasting life if you repent and trust the Savior. So that's what you need to do. Don't just say, God, I'm sorry. Turn from your sins in repentance. Don't just believe in Jesus. Put your trust in Him as your trust of parachute. Folks, this is so important. Every day 140,000 people die. Please make peace with God today. If you've got a Bible at home, read it. Pray about what you've heard today. Because there's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. Please listen to my friend, Easy. Thank you. Folks, we thank you so much for giving us your attention this morning. I know it's a strange thing to be waiting to get into court and a couple of crazy guys are preaching at you. We're not accustomed to this. But you know, when we're in those moments when we're alone and we give thought to our eternal destiny, we realize that there's nothing more important than where we're going to spend eternity. Often we think in our hearts and minds that we're going to live forever, but we know better. We know that we can lose our lives today and stand before God and then it's heaven or it's hell. And I want to leave you with a final thought today. You know, I wonder if a scientist walked up and down this line and offered each of you a million dollars cold cash to donate one of your eyes for scientific research. Painless surgery, 15 minutes, they'll replace your eye with a glass eye that looks exactly like the other one, but you just can't see through it. A million dollars cold cash. Now, most of you probably wouldn't do that. A few of you may. But if I upped it to about 15 or 20 or 30 million, I'm sure I'd get a few more eyeballs. But I have yet to meet one person who would sell both their eyes for even a hundred billion dollars. Because our eyes are precious to us, they're valuable, yet they are, if you would, significantly insignificant in comparison to the scope of our body. If our eyes, these windows to our soul, are worth more to us than all the money in the world, how much more valuable should be the soul that's looking out of these eyes? We want to leave you with that thought today. God sent His only begotten Son to hang upon a cross before the world to shed His blood and to rise again from the dead that you might have eternal life. And I believe any reasonable individual would be wise enough to consider the eternal destiny of their soul and to recognize God's love and grace demonstrated on that cross that He might wipe away all the sins we've committed against Him. All the wrong that we've done, those secret moments of hidden pleasure, those times of anger and hatred in our heart which is equated to murder, that rebellion as we've kicked against the God who's offered us His grace. Today He's offering you forgiveness if you would but turn from your sin and cry out unto Him in repentance. Again, we thank you so much for listening to us today. We respect your attention.
All right. If you're wondering why there's so many people listening to that, it's because like you probably heard they're on their way into court and they're standing in line. The court, court hasn't opened yet. So, all right. Let's hear from you. Like it? Don't like it? Comments? Yeah. I liked it a little more than I thought I would go in when it started. To be honest. All right. Why? Um, well, I think just like theologically, I would agree with the way they said it, and I feel like they presented it well, including themselves in the sin and focusing on the redemption and the hope rather than the hate and condemnation. Okay. Who else? I would disagree with Soren. I heard a lot of condemnation and a lot of, it seemed, it was, I didn't like it at all. It seemed very like, you should do this because it makes sense and it's reasonable and any reasonable person would do this and this is the most important thing for who, but why, and did God even come into this at all? And it just seemed very cursory and like anybody would have rolled their eyes and said, I've already heard this before, you crazy people. Okay, yeah. I feel like it was a lot more effective for the people actually doing the evangelism to figure out what they believe. And I feel like it helped them a lot in affirming like, what to say and how to say it more so than it did actually change the people which they were presenting it to. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, Joseph. I don't know. I see no connection. Like, you have two guys preaching to someone. Even if someone, say, prays the prayer or whatever, there's not going to be any real life change because there's no lasting connection. They're going to walk into the courthouse, come out, and just leave. And I actually know a lot of people. They you know, pray with them or whatever just to get rid of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think like out of the entire video, like because when I was watching it very closely, I was watching more so the people. Because the guy I could give crap what I, I could hear what he's saying, but I didn't really care. I was watching the people. I think I saw probably one person actually go like more so like this, and like actually start thinking about it. Everybody else just like who the hell, who the heck is this guy? And just go piss <laughs> off. It's All right. Yeah. I mean, one of the things you could do is put yourself in the in the shoes of the people watching this. How do you feel about that, or what else do you see? Jill. I'm going to say something positive. Um, I liked how the second guy was respectful of their time, kind of leveled with him and said, yeah, I understand this is kind of weird. This is maybe a little out of the ordinary. It kind of wakes you up a little bit and says, like, oh, yeah, this is a person, and he recognized that I'm not just like a, like a thing to be preached at, but I'm a person who thinks and who may need a little bit of um, it's like common human decency. Plus, it was not as embarrassing, like I wasn't as embarrassed to believe the same things that they believed as with other street evangelism people I've seen. Okay. Yeah, I think I basically agree with Joe like, in both of those points. So, like, I think I just appreciated the second guy, at least openly addressing, yeah, this is awkward. Like, people <laughs> don't just like randomly go up to other people and preach at them while they're waiting in line. Like, and I thought like it was much more genuine at least. I appreciated that. Cranky that's probably just a tactic, but still like it was is at least genuine in that a little bit and like I appreciated that aspect of it. And also like I mean I agree with Soren that I feel like for the most part, like there's definitely always ways you can better explain something or explain something more clearly, um, or take a slightly different approach on it. But I felt like their general concept of what they were presenting wasn't like inherently wrong. But at the same time, it's kind of forcing them because they're standing in line. It's not like they're going to, they can leave. They can't if they, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, they, that is truly a captive audience. There's no doubt about it. Uh, they're not going anywhere. Comments going this way? Yeah. I think that it gives the doorway or kind of the gateway for, like, further conversation maybe because this 
even if it doesn't get the person to actually do something, it sparks the thoughts about God. And it sparks the thoughts about the, you know, like afterlife and what's going on. And chances that this person's gonna go home and be like, hey, I saw this street preacher today. Like, like at least the person's thinking about it. And that gives a doorway to maybe Christians around the individual person to be like, well, what do you say? Like, what did you think about it? Um, because it's it's almost like a, a non-Christian starting, you know, like starting to have thoughts and then. Okay, going this way. Yeah. Um, and I think it could have been worse. I just don't know how effective it would be. Like, the first guy, I mean, yeah, it seemed like he was kind of theologically right on, but I thought, like, if I was standing in line, just like, Christ died for your sins, like, okay, that is profound and that is beautiful, but, like, I don't think anyone would take it that way. It just feels like it's kind of this wall of theological statements. And and I don't, I don't know how else they could go about explaining it that way, but I think about, like, well, how powerful would it be if they just, like, served breakfast to those people? Or they just, like, I think, and it would be weird, but that's kind of how, like, the gospel works sometimes. Or if someone, like, stood up and was, like, you know, here's the theology of it, but, like, here's what Christ did in my life to all these people. And that would be really weird, too. But I, I wonder if something less one-way, all just church speak, could impact people's hearts more. Yeah. I'm going to interject an editorial comment. One of the things I've noticed about this style of evangelism that I'll help you to identify is it seems that there's an idea that people just don't know. If they only knew, then they would turn and change. So maybe that's the effectiveness comment that you're making is they're giving information out, but there's an assumption in their, in their way of preaching, which is if you only knew how it worked, you would accept it. It's probably because you don't know. And that's something we should be questioning. Okay, coming back this way, Dan? I think it's hard to judge the effectiveness of stuff like this because you don't know how this is going to affect anybody because you're standing there preaching at them and you don't know if 20 years later this guy's going to suddenly start believing in Jesus or whatever, you know? And so I feel like every kind of evangelism is like that. There's no way you can know how it's affecting. You just have to do something. Something, okay. Yeah, and I think most people's problems is the fact just that it's like street corner evangelism. And I wouldn't be the first one to go out and do that. Um, but I, I think like as far as just preaching like on the street corner goes, like I think that's just about like as good as you're gonna get or as good if not better than any of us can do. Okay, going this way, Jeremy. I think that if someone can recognize, like he recognized at the end by saying this is awkward, I think you should pause and consider why this is awkward. It shouldn't be that awkward. Like that, that would stop me and say why is this awkward? And I also, I think that in, in a different way, I think it's very irresponsible. I don't think that what half of what he said was theologically accurate, or at least I don't think that, no, I don't think that just spitting out verses just really, it's not responsible. It's the same thing that Christians do in church to each other, and they don't know anything more. So now you want to do that to people who know nothing potentially. It makes no sense to me. Okay, here's the editorial comment I'll make on that one. Did you notice why he seems to ignore the awkwardness? I mean, you're right. A lot of you kind of give him credit for at least acknowledging it. You're saying he should have at least acknowledged it and not done it, maybe, or at least thought, hey, maybe that should give me pause. Why do you think these two people would ignore the awkwardness and go, what is driving them? What's their motivation? He said it in the video if you caught it. His motivation is 140,000 people are dying every day. That's his motivation. And he's explaining why he would do such a crazy thing. Now, I'm not saying that explains it to the point where we would agree with it.
But I want you to identify what's going on here. So in their mind, the assumption that's going on here is we got a race to save people before they die. That's the assumption that's going on. And we're going to need to evaluate that in our series. If you have the antidote to a rare disease, do you have an obligation to share it? Is evangelism even the same thing? I just want to make an objection to what Jeremy said. That I feel like there, there's an assumption in there that if something is awkward, that inherently means it's not worth doing or it's not beneficial. And I think, actually I got this from Megan once, saying that like people can often hold like awkward as just this like unbelievably like horrible thing and anything that's like awkward we need to like shy away from. But there's a lot of great things that can come out of awkward situations. Yeah, we wouldn't go to church if we hated awkward that much, right? <laughs> the whole experience would be like, we just stay home and watch TV, yeah. I think I agree with Soren on that, like even going further with it, I think the awkwardness is more societal, like the fact that you don't have someone come up to you like while you're standing in line and start talking to you, like that, that by itself is awkward. It wasn't the subject matter. Like the fact that I'm talking about Christ isn't what really just make it awkward. Like if someone went to talk to me about like bagels and like, <laughs> you know, like that's awkward. Like what do you do? So I mean, I, I think that, and so it's okay for them to say, yeah, this is awkward, but this is what I'm doing anyway, and that's fine. Like I'm not assuming that awkward is bad. I'm saying that. It's not awkward to us because we're sitting in church, but it, it would be if we polled any of those people standing in line, I'm willing to say that they probably would say, yeah, it was awkward or it was annoying or it was stupid or I wasn't paying attention. And whether or not we can actually gauge its actual effectiveness, I think we can. So we should give pause. I can actually, I'm going to come back to that point in a second, Jason. With reference to the effectiveness, um, a lot of that theological spewing wasn't very effective, especially to people who really weren't listening that much. I felt like the, the most effective thing, one of the most effective things that they said was when he made the analogy of how important the eye is to, to us, like how important having at least one of our eyes is to the people who have, have sight, and, and then how much more the, the soul that can see through those eyes makes sense of what comes through that. So I felt like that was one of the most effective things. And then someone had mentioned that maybe making it more like testimonial would have made it more effective. And I, I would agree that straight theological statements aren't going to mean something to someone. It's going to mean something if, if you're entering into a relationship with someone. And so at least a testimony would uh, open up the invitation to people saying, this is what I've experienced. I'd like to hear you know, how it could change you as well. Okay, Brittany, last comment. Then we're going to move on to a couple of letters so you guys can save your comments. I, in some of the things I agree with Jeremy, like I don't think their theology is very good. But um, I, I'm kind of surprised more people don't say it, but I think it's extremely like effective in turning people off to Christianity. And like just having this very impersonal, like you're standing in line, I'm going to just spew this stuff out at you and give you a little card or whatever with information on it. Like, I don't know. I think it's extremely effective in just making people like kind of shut down. Like, oh, Christianity, I'm not going to be involved in that. I'm not going to engage in it. If you hear somebody actually talking about and using that language again, you just feel like, oh, like, throw it away type of thing. Okay, let me insert myself for a second, and then I'll come back to you guys since you're eager to talk about this. So you know for all of our series, we do a lot of research. We read a lot of books, do a lot of magazine articles. But for this series, I did a little bit extra research. You guys know that I'm also an attorney, so I went to the courthouse so 
Every time I go to this one courthouse, there's a guy doing exactly this spiel. So there I am standing in line. <laughs> and this guy is giving me the speech. It just so happened that I was with a client at the same time who is not a Christian, but I was close enough friendship with this person that I could turn to him while this guy is giving us the, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're an adulterer, like all that part, right? And we're going to court for something totally different, you know, like <laughs> my client's just going to court for a breach of contract. But we're going to the court, you know, and I turned to him and I said, so what do you think of this guy? So here's my chance to do real research. Now, this is only one person. It's not real research, but it's a real life person. So what do you think of that guy? And he says, well, he's certainly committed to what he believes. And I thought he was joking about that at first, but then I realized he was serious. He respected the commitment that somebody would have. Now, this client and I have been to this courthouse at least six times at this point, and that guy is there every time. Same guy. And you got to get there at 8 o'clock in the morning, so you know he's already been there. People are lined up from 7 sometimes to get in, so he's there every time I go. My client seemed to think that showed commitment. It showed some sincerity in what he believed. And we started talking about it a little bit further, like what would propel somebody to do that every single day? Why would they do that? And he says, well, he must really think that what he has to say is important. All right, that's just one person. Maybe the next time I took a different client, I asked him, they go, oh my God, those guys are crazy. We don't know how it's going to affect people. We know just one person, well, there was me, <laughs> who was like, oh. <laughs> but then there was my client who seemed to think it was okay. How many of us would actually go and do that? Raise your hand. If you want to come with me to the Rancho Cucamonga Courthouse and actually do this, I can introduce you to the guy. How many would do it? Raise your hand. Two people? Do I get to choose what I say? <laughs> I'm not sure you would, by the way, because ironically, every time I see the guys, they have the same exact speech, so I don't know if it's because they lack creativity or because they're required to do it. But, but you're a free agent. Yeah, you can say whatever you want. So we've got two people? Two, three? Well, some of you thought it was more positive than that, so why aren't you going? Let me, before you answer, let me add one more thing. I would love to be able to tell you that I went researching through the scriptures and found that this method is just the wrong method. But when I flip to the book of Acts, forget the Gospels, let's lay those aside. They're not important. <laughs> let's just start with the book of Acts for a second, when the church is actually inaugurated, all right? Let's, so that you don't give me the excuse that I would anticipate from some of you like, well, that was before the crucifixion, that was before the resurrection. Jesus is not here, just like now. We have the Holy Spirit. I went walking through the book of Acts, and I saw time and time and time again people standing up in the public square from the beginning at Pentecost all the way forward. Now, it's not the only way it happened, but I want to be clear that I can't say it happened in one or two instances. It seemed like there was a pattern. Even Paul on his missionary journeys went first to the synagogue to find people, then he went to the marketplace to find people, and then he started relationships after that. But there was always this effort to be in the public square. So we got two people out of the whole group of you in this room that would be willing to do it. With that in mind, and some of you who are positive about it, at least more positive than negative, why aren't we going to do this? Yeah. In this society and culture, it's not appropriate to do things like that. Just like Phil said, you don't talk to people in line at the grocery store either about bagels. <laughs> Like, that's just, <laughs> I'm talking at the grocery store, I'm like, who are you? Like, what do you want? Why are you talking about it? I'm here to buy groceries. Go over there to get 
sport. They're not there to talk to strangers. You think it's weird? I think it's super weird. I hate when people talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're not even from Southern California and you have that attitude? Yeah. <laughs> Let me add commentary to that. Do you think it was normal in Paul's time? Maybe it was. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying they're as standoffish as we are, but I'm not so sure that it was acceptable to go stand in the marketplace and start preaching, even in his time. But it's a question. I don't have the answer. I haven't read that book yet. Yeah. One thing to do to people who may not have heard it or who, to whom it may be profound, that's another thing to do to people who may have probably heard of it like dozens of times. So you think it's not effective to do it, like it wouldn't be worth the effort? Um, it depends on who's there, but if one person gets saved because of it, I mean, that's, that may be enough. But I think it's different times from now than it was in biblical times. Okay. I want to connect that to something Brittany said about we don't know how many people it's turning off. And one thing I've seen a number of times when I've been doing all this research is there is this general feeling, and it's actually not what you're saying directly, so it is a little bit unfair to take your comment and use it this way. We have this excuse in the church, like if only one person was saved, it would be worth it. That would only be true if nobody else was turned off by it, right? But you could imagine a scenario where you could save one person and turn off millions. And then, see, we tend to justify a lot of behavior. Well, if only one person was saved, it would be worth it, right? Assuming all other things being equal. But if all other things aren't equal, like we couldn't better have used that time, we couldn't have saved more people doing something different, like if we could have avoided turning people off, then maybe there is something for us to think about in wisdom, right? How many people are not going out there, not because it's not effective, just because we don't like doing it at all? It's a comfort issue, I think, for some people. Okay. Joseph? I think, um, going back to the thing with Paul, I think he had the position from his previous time as a Jewish leader to go into the synagogues. And then once he spoke in the synagogues in public, he was able to go into the marketplace because he was known there. I think if I had the position I was known, it would be easier for me to go out there and say something like that and be more accepted. Whereas just some random guy out there on the street talking or something like that, it'd be like, what did you say? It's a great example of that. You know, one of our most famous people in the church, you probably, most of you know him, is Kirk Cameron. <laughs> and there are a bazillion videos. If you ever just want to have fun, go onto YouTube and type in Kirk Cameron, right? And there are so many of him because he's trying to use his notoriety to evangelize using these same methods. That guy that you saw preaching, by the way, he kind of had a little funny accent. He's actually from New Zealand. That's Ray Comfort, who's Kirk Cameron's partner in all these evangelism crusades where they do exactly that and other things you'll see in a moment. Uh, there was one where it says Kirk Cameron talks to gang members, and I, I had to watch it. <laughs> I just wanted to see if they were going to beat him up. <laughs> and they didn't. They're like, you're such a bad actor. And then they're like, but never, it didn't happen. Comments coming this way? Yeah. I just think it could be done so much better. Like, the more I think about it, the more I think that being personal would, would work much better. Because I don't think that most of these people haven't heard this before. I think almost everyone in America, I mean, we're supposed to be a Christian nation. I think everybody has heard John 3.16 at least once. I think most people have heard this somewhere. And even if they haven't, I think there's a way to reach the people who have heard it and those who haven't at the same time in a way that's more personal. Like, hey, I'm here. I look kind of stupid, but this is what I believe, and it's because I care about you even though I don't know you. I just think there's a much better way to do it than that. Okay, yeah. Okay, so we're talking about the effectiveness of this and that there could be a better way to do it. But to me, that comes across that we're relying too much on ourselves. Like, we're planting a seed, no matter how it's done, like the gospel is presented. And so the rest of the work is up to the Holy Spirit. 
So if we say there's a better way to do it, then aren't we relying more on our own methods instead of the way the Holy Spirit works? It's a very good question that we're going to answer in this series. Because the way you answer that question will change the way you do evangelism. It may be that there are better ways to do it, and we should be stewards of the gospel and think of the best way to do it. It may also be that it's not in our hands at all. And the comment I would make to that is, remember the parable of the seeds in a different soil. The one thing that we've always talked about that has always been significant to me is, forget the soils. Just notice that the sower, who's Jesus, is sowing everywhere. Even in places he knows it won't grow, but he's still doing it. Our God is a lavish sower. He sows liberally everywhere. Not like a conservative sower would sow only in good soil slowly. He throws it in the road and places where we know that no sower would throw the seed. But we have to balance it too because that sounds very tempting to say, okay, then let's just do anything because something might work and God will add to it. All right, let's pause there for a moment and watch somebody else. Ray wants to see a little bit more personal touch. Let's do a little bit more personal touch where the people get to speak back this time. Let's go to the street evangelism number one. What would you say, what qualifies someone to get into heaven? Um, well, I guess if you believe in God and you like, give your life to him, then you're going to go. So do you think someone can get into heaven just by doing good? Yeah, I think so. Do you ever read the Bible? Uh, yeah, occasionally. What you want to do, Tim, is you want to open up to um, Ephesians chapter 6. And what it tells us in, in the Word of God, in the Bible, it says that we're saved by grace, not by works. Do you know what I mean? Because that's why Jesus died on the cross for us. That's right. Yeah. So, so what, what does Jesus mean to you on the cross? Does that have anything to do with us getting into heaven at all? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, what, it, what it means to me is like... It, I don't know. Some people don't realize what someone dying for you means. So, okay. Well, let me ask you this, Tim. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? Yeah, I think so. All right. I'll ask you a few questions just to see if that's true. Um, have you ever lied before? Oh yes, I have. So, what do we call someone who tells lies? A sinner. More specifically, well, what do you? If I were to tell lies, what would you call me? A liar. A liar, exactly. Have you ever uh, stolen anything? Yes, I have. What do we call someone who steals? <laughs> someone who steals. Starts with a T. A thief. A thief, exactly. Okay, Jesus said, if you, ever, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Have you ever lusted before? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so Tim, by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, adulterer at heart. Okay, and that's only three of the Ten Commandments. So if God were to judge you by those Ten Commandments, would you be innocent or guilty? Uh, I'd be pretty guilty. Would you go to heaven or hell? Probably to hell. So all I want to do is point out to you that the Bible says that there is no one good. That we've all fallen short. You know what I mean? That there's no one good enough to get into heaven. That's why Jesus died. So it's not enough just to believe, but we have to we have to trust in God in what God did, and we have to repent of our sins. That means turn. That means stop doing the things that we used to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So just the message today for you, Tim, is to don't rely on your own goodness to get you into heaven. Just trust in Jesus. Understand what he did for you on the cross. He washed your sins away. And he took your punishment upon himself. And, and that way, when you're, when, you're, when you're going that way, man, you're not relying on yourself anymore. Because we all fail. We've already messed it up. You know? And uh, so can I leave you with some information? Okay.
What do you guys think of the interview where the interviewer talks the whole time more than the, more than the person being interviewed? Wait! That was so much more personal than just yelling at a bunch of people who are standing in line. I don't have any constructive comments. It was only personal in that he was talking to somebody one-on-one. -on -one. It wasn't personal because he wasn't really listening. He didn't even need to his script. And he didn't care that he was being really rude. Um, he did kind of take into account, like, this is a person. This is not, again, like a thing for me to talk to and for me to go home and feel like, good, I did my job. Okay. The questions were more so not really open-ended. The person really only said yes, no, that's it. I mean, there's no really like, okay, yeah, I understand because I'm more so, you know, talking about the entire subject as a whole. Okay, anyone else? Philip? I thought it was interesting that it basically used like the same strategy of like establishing your center. Like, let's use commandments and like specific, like almost the same ones. Like, yeah. <laughs> context as well. And, uh, yeah. There is a large debate on the internet between are you one of the types of evangelists that use law to convict people before you show them grace? Or are you people that go to grace first? There's a lot of anger among evangelists because the people who just go straight to grace are letting people off too easily. You've got to convict them of their sin first and show them why they need Jesus. Otherwise, the grace comes too cheaply. That's from the literature of the people who use this method. And that's why you see this method over and over and over because it goes a certain way. Wes? If I was the interviewee and he was asking me these questions, it'd feel a lot like a trap to me. Just like, okay, well, I'll ask you a few questions and we'll see if you're a good person. Yeah. Like at that time, it's like, like oh, I don't care. Keep talking. I don't care. Jason. Uh, two things. One, just a quick, like, it was kind of like a, it was a vocab test part of it. He was just like, okay, do you, do you lie? Yes. Um, what is that called? Uh, he couldn't think, like, oh, a sinner. No, no, no. What is it? Like, he, it was just a vocab test for a lot of it. And then, it wasn't personal because the interviewer and the interviewee didn't share their lives in any way. Like, the only thing that the interviewee shared about his life was that he lusts, that he has lied, and that he, maybe that he's stolen. Yeah. So, so he hasn't really shared anything at all in his life, and the other guy shared nothing about his own life. He just asked harsh questions with harsh responses. That shows how much the youth of America are not getting the vocab on the SAT, I think. That guy's a... <laughs> Too many video games, all right? Can I tell you something in addition to that? I mean, uh, again, going back to lawyer examples, when we want to intimidate somebody in a deposition, you know what we do? You know, when you take a deposition, you know what that is? There's a person asking questions, there's a person answering, and there's a court reporter like typing everything. That's required by law. But you know what you do to intimidate somebody when you're taking a deposition? You videotape it. Because having a camera right in front of you every time you're going to answer a question just freaks most people out, even articulate people. Now, this guy wasn't articulate to begin with, probably, but, <laughs> but I want you to put yourself in their shoes. Like, you're out at an amusement park where this was taking place. Somebody comes up to you and goes, hey, can we ask you a few questions on camera? Uh, okay. And then they begin to ask you or run you through this thing. I think the, the camera is probably, in my estimation, probably a little offensive, you know? But it's very helpful to us because we wouldn't have seen this if somebody hadn't filmed it. So good for them. Yes? I want to kind of build on what Jason said. I just feel like there's um, an aspect of humility that seems to be missing here. There's like a holier-than-thou almost sort of feeling of the person who's doing the interviewing. Like it's a lack of sharing personal experience. And it's just like, I'm up here. I'm already saved. I'm a Christian. I'm going to reach down and help you because you need help. And let me explain this to you. It's, it's condescending and kind of offensive and 
there's no humility in it that, that I think there needs to be. Yeah, and if I could pull something else out of what Jason said, it's not just a lack of humility, but it's a lack of relationship. They're not sharing anything which we're going to have to talk about. Does relationship evangelism work? Because there's some real criticism of that as well. Let's watch the last one. It's almost the same. You guys can look at this and just evaluate a slightly different group of people doing the same thing, and then we'll close it off. Okay, so do you believe in, in heaven, Heaven, right? You believe in heaven? Do you believe in God? I you believe in hell? Really like to, I'd like to believe. I try to tell myself this, but for some reason it doesn't seem logical to me, but... I mean, I I think if God were to, you know, peek into my daily life, like he's supposed to be looking over us every day, I'd say that he'd say, let her pass, really. You know, like really the gospel, the truth, it's so simple. All you got to do is put on Jesus. The Bible says to put on Jesus and to repent of your sins, realizing that you are a sinner. And there's no way you can get into heaven on your own because we are not good people. We are unworthy and God is the only worthy, worthy person. Well, that's probably one of the most logical things I've ever heard when it comes to religion. Yeah, you're pretty good. Okay. Yeah, it's, you know, it's all God's grace. He's changed my life so much that I want you, Shannon, to be in heaven with me. <laughs> I know where I'm going. And like if God were to say, Shannon, why should I let you into my heaven what do you think you like what would you say I'd ask him please if I could stay here as long as possible because I love my life so much and ultimately you want to be where God is because 10 out of 10 people die right right <laughs> right okay. so, so with that in mind like don't you want to be where God is and so God wherever God is that's where heaven is basically and we believe there's a heaven and a hell and tonight's message is that I pray that you would really ask God into your heart and put him on Jesus put Jesus on because that's the only way into heaven he says I am the way the truth and the life no one can come to the Father except through me as long as you accept Jesus into your heart and you really try to turn from him and realize that you're a sinner then you can be guaranteed eternal life that's all you gotta do Shannon all you gotta do darn that sounds good to me <laughs> before you sleep tonight I'm so glad you came and talked to us. You know, you always had a conversation the other day with, you know, a friend. Friend's friend, mom. Yeah, yeah, and then God has us here again talking to you. I know he's trying to tell you something. <laughs> I know, girl. I know. He loves you so much. I'd like to think so. He does. Yeah. I love the world, but he loves you that he sent these people in your life and he and I guess just him. as long as we don't hurt anybody else right or not hurting ourselves yeah but still you like still like again there's nothing we can do nothing because we're, we're we're sinners but only through Jesus struggle and strive like think of like okay, a lamb you know like a, a, a sweet little innocent white little lamb right <laughs> that's what Jesus was for us and he died sweet little lamb died for us sinners us really bad sinners. You know, it's, it's sad, it's, it's, you know, but we need to be thinking about this thing. The Bible says that to keep your focus on heavenly things, and where Jesus is, where God is, that's where we need to keep our focus. So I pray that you will pray tonight, Jen. Thank you so I much. Don't, for I don't know how to pray. Yeah, you know, okay. <laughs> no, like, really, did you want to pray? Because, like, honestly, you know, you're, you're out, and it's no coincidence. This is a divine appointment. I know God put us here, and I know he, that he wants you so bad. He puts you here right now. And if you don't know what to pray, the same way that I'm talking to you right now, that's how you gotta do. You gotta do like, if you wanna pray, if you wanna pray, we can pray with you. If not, we can turn off the camera and you, you know, can No, I can imagine now. like people just have their own ways of praying. You're right. So, that's all you gotta yeah. do is realize, God, this is what you gotta do. God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sins. Jesus, I accept you into my heart. I put you on and I repent. That's beautiful. That's all you gotta do. All you have to do. You're great. You're great. No, you're great. <laughs> <laughs> God's great. Okay.
what's going on there? What do you think from their perspective? I mean, to me, it looks like they're kind of, kind of just like, okay, let's just get this over with, especially when the last part comes in. You know at the end of every commercial where the legal disclaimer comes in? Like, like that part? That was exactly what was going on there with John 3.16 and this and that and say a prayer and all that stuff. Like, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to run and see if I can get this ball in the goal. Yeah. I don't think that it was very effective. Like, the beginning, the girl was, I mean, she said she was basically, like, on the fence. And I think that the best thing would have been to make it, like, personal. Hey, let's go get some coffee. And, um, but I, just, yeah. I think at that point, once they started asking questions, he just wanted to get out of there. Yeah. I don't know. I think at the beginning, it had the potential to be effective. But then if she said, I know where I'm going, and it kind of went off the rails from there. Yeah. 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 But hear that for a moment. What is being said there again? I mean, you think we should fairly pull these things apart a little bit. I know where I'm going. You could say that's pride, or maybe that's confidence, or it's faith, or whatever it is. But don't you see that that person is genuinely interested in making sure that the person they're talking to goes there too? Does anyone doubt that? I don't think that we can really doubt that the person who's doing the interview, whatever the method is, really wants this person to get to know Christ and probably because it'll save them eternally. That's clear in most of these presentations. I don't think it's to grow their church. I don't think it's because they want money. I mean, there's, really, if you think about it, what other motivation could there be except your belief that if that person were to accept Christ, they would be saved for eternity? Don't we all believe that? So what's wrong with the method then? I think yeah, that was just painful. Like, oh, <laughs> non-dating. But um, first of all, like it's like you're totally selling something. Like they're just selling, like oh, ticket to heaven. Like all they want to do is kind of get people in the gates, and it doesn't really talk much about this life at all. And and why is that important? That's a good comment. But why is it important? Why talk about this life? I mean, who cares? The the verse they put up on the screen said we shouldn't love this world. So shouldn't we just ditch it and get on to the next one? Christianity is, I don't, I don't think, based on like this idea of just getting into heaven, but like living differently and like what Christ did and manifested a different kind of social reality and like embodying that and embodying Christ in the world. So that's like a whole other thing. That's not a whole other thing. I think that's exactly right. What Brittany just said is really important because if that is true, that Christianity is more than just a way to get into heaven, if Jesus was actually preaching something more than that, which I think most of the people in this room agree then the method of evangelism that you're watching only addresses one part of the Christian life. That's why I think it's important enough to point that out and why I made you go deeper on that, because I think that's a very profound thing that we could miss. Do you want to come back? Yeah, and I think like also, I mean, in all of the ones we've seen so far, it's just like taking, like almost extracting any meaning or like depth in the theology of things and just like, Saying, like presenting it so flat, and so you, you hear these things like Jesus died on the cross for your sins, like, and that means nothing. It and so it's kind of, yeah, it becomes cliche, and so then even if you hear it in church, I mean, even growing up in church, you keep hearing this, and it, it loses its meaning for, like, like theologically, and then, like, depth-wise, even for meaning personally in your life, and, and so I think that's really ineffective as well. Just okay, the very last comment's going this way. Wes? One problem I have with this kind of evangelism I've encountered before is that people with this kind of approach are used to people saying no to them. And so they don't like stop to listen to anything really things that they keep on going. Like the one previous was like he had a spiel, he kept on going with it. Like I had somebody like asked me if I was a Christian at work once. 
I'm like, the last time you're coming, the rapture's coming up, like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And she kept on going with her feel. I'm like, I have another three or four man, man, I'm a Christian. Oh, you are! So you know all this? Yes. Oh, okay, have a nice day. Maybe she counted you anyway that day. <laughs> yeah. I wonder with some of these guys, is it not really about the people they're trying to reach, but about themselves and making themselves feel better in their faith? We have to think about that. Whether there's a, I'm right because I need to convince myself, or I'm right because I'm prideful. But I think in fairness, there's a lot of people out there who really do believe that people are going to die and be internally damned if they don't reach them in time. First of all, I really liked how she at least used the person's name. Like, that's somewhat of a step. Um, but also, I think that, like, a lot of times people say, like, Christ died for your sin. Well, so much evangelism is Christ died for the penalty of your sin. The penalty being the death. But there's, lack of, there's a lack of incarnation of how does that deal with my flesh right now? How does that, like, Christ did not just die for the penalty of your sin in the afterlife. He died for your sin currently and what's going on currently. Okay. Last two comments. You go first. Um, I was just thinking about probably the most effective, because I, you know, in remembering different instances where I've seen street evangelism, I remember the most effective one I've ever seen, which was different than any of these. I was in New York in a subway station where there are lots of people yelling all the time about religion, and there was a group of people, a church group, and they just had a little, like, tent set up in the subway station, and it said, we'll pray for you. No questions asked, any need. So, like, I was thinking... For someone who was like in the depths of something really painful, being yelled at is not going to help. But if they needed, like they could have gone to those people and talked to them. There were no speakers, no microphones, no cameras. It was just, we're here to pray for you. It may be weird and you may reject it, but like we're here for you. I think there's something profound about showing care for people when you're evangelizing. Okay. Kimberly, the last um, word. I just think about how like, what it would feel like if it was from me, if I was hearing this from a religion I didn't agree with or believe in. And it's so weird how, like, they always give these examples of mysteries, like, things that, like, don't even, unless you believe in the Bible, you wouldn't even, like, go, resurrection's possible, this, that, you know, virgin birth. Like, there's so many weird things that they throw in there that's, like, you don't, they don't even take into account that that's a huge thing, you know, to actually just scream at someone to believe that someone died for you and then came back alive. So a lot of it, I don't know, I feel like that's, that's something that comes, like, to believe in those kind of mysterious things in the Bible that are pretty crazy is, is like a deeper step. And so, like, to start just point blank there is just very, I don't know, I feel like just really strange. Like, if I went over and someone was telling me, well, you know, the Mormon plates we found, like, they just start there. It's like, well, I'm already going to write it off because that doesn't even make sense. I don't have any basis to believe in a strange thing like that. You guys know when we did our series on other world religions, we spent time in Scientology, and I saw you guys like rolling your eyes about all the crazy things they believe. I wonder sometimes, when people listen to the claims of Christianity, do they sound just as strange sometimes? Mm -hmm. Something that we should at least be aware of when we're talking to people. So I did more research for this series. I was sitting there reading a book somewhere, and this guy walked up and evangelized me. And he used one of these same kinds of methods. He's like, hey, I see you're reading. You like that book? That was the question he started with. 20-year-old <laughs> uh, flip-flop wearing APU student. I could, <laughs> it was awesome. I was undercover. I didn't reveal my Christian identity like Wes did so quickly. 
I figured, what could be better than this? Let's play this out and see how it goes. So he started asking me, like, so what are you reading? Do you like reading? That? I mean, he just kept going back to the same questions over and over. Like, if I didn't like reading this book, why would I be reading it? But it was just an excuse. And he had a wingman who was terrified. The wingman was terrified. He was standing, like, eight feet back, you know? Like, just enough to say that he was there, but he really wasn't there because I was over here, and so was the guy who was obviously the extrovert. And he went through this whole spiel, and we sat down, we started talking, and I just kept asking him questions, and he was trying to answer. And then I started asking him, you know, okay, come on, it's me, right? So I started asking him really difficult questions about, like, why would Jesus die? And, like, all these things that I was going through, right? I got to give this guy credit. I mean, the wheels came off of the whole presentation, but he kept trying to drive, you know, he just wouldn't give up, you know. And then I finally sat down and told him afterwards that I was a Christian and we had an interesting conversation from there. You know, the thing is, I wasn't really trying to just poke fun at him. I really wanted to see what would happen if we got past some of this. A lot of these methods come from very doctrinally certain places. The churches that teach these kinds of methods and love them are doctrinally certain. Some of you use the word like it's flat, like they've taken all of the layers and all of the complexity and the depth and the wisdom and the beauty of Jesus' teachings and they've compacted them and made them kind of two-dimensional. But maybe that's the only way you can do a presentation like this. I challenge you to come up with something better. The reason I pointed these out tonight was not so we can make fun of them, is to go, all right, this is one method, and these people are serious, and they're out there doing this every single day. What's our method? If you don't like this method, what's it going to be? How are you going to fulfill the Great Commission? Because you can't say, I'm not going to do anything. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be analyzing how important is it for us to be doing evangelism. Morgan's going to take that week. I've asked Jeremy to step up and talk more about what's not working about some of the methods. Why it is that even maybe relationships sometimes are forced, or if they're just intentioned on driving somebody to a gospel message, why that might not be best. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about what method we would come up with. We're going to get a little bit practical at the end and say, well, you guys come up with an alternative then if we're so good at tearing this down. And I still want you to see that there's some redeeming features to this. So I'm going to leave it there, kind of leave it hanging. We come back next week and pick it up and actually start adding some verses, some meat to it. This is a good intro to get us started on the topic. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, keep us humble. While we are so certain sometimes of what does and does not work, we know that you work in mysteries we hardly understand. For every story of somebody turned off by the gospel, Lord, we know stories of people that were saved by these very methods. And so, Lord, our inquiry here is to grow and wrestle, not so that we can critique others. Lord, help us, please, in the depths of our souls to lay ourselves bare before you and find out why it is that we are not evangelizing. Lord, we want to be sensitive. We want to do it with gentleness and respect, just the way that you say. But Lord, the truth is, many of us are not doing it at all. And so when all is said and done, no matter what method we choose, Lord, at the end of this series, may we be people who take your great commission seriously. May we be people who love deeply enough to care and concern about other people. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.